to Say It Southern. Aspiring to live not just as moms, but as modern Southern women, we began this project to hear from those who inspire us and recognize those who are achieving their own personal goals. Listen in as we celebrate the South and those who say it Southern. Today, we are speaking with the brains and the beauty behind Good Grit Magazine. Good Grit Magazine is a Southern culture magazine based in Birmingham, Alabama. They believe that the South is compiled of people from here and people who aren't from here but have fallen in love and stayed. And these people are begging for a progressive and truthful representation of who we are and who we want to be. Courtney and I could not agree more. Join us now as we say it Southern with Laura Quick, the founder of Good Grit. All right, today, Courtney and I are so excited to have Laura Quick, the founder and CEO of Good Grit Magazine. Yeah, girl. Yeah. (laughs) Now, you guys are in Birmingham, Alabama, right? Okay, so funny story. We were were born in Birmingham, Alabama. I'm originally from Savannah, Georgia. Um, Moved to Birmingham, Alabama to start my first company, which is kind of a weird, twisted story, but... um, Mountain Brook had great demographics, and mm-hmm. I just thought, hey, um, that's where I started my very first company in 2012. And um, but I'm from Savannah, born and raised, uh, and now Birmingham with the pandemic has gotten a little bit. Uh, it's just obsolete because our Birmingham girls are working from home, and now we have kind of satellite, a satellite office in Atlanta, a satellite office in Nashville, a satellite office in Birmingham. And I am in our Coleman office, Coleman, Alabama, Mm -hmm. because I married a man from Coleman and this is now where I call home. (laughs) I love it. It's the Sweden of the South in relationships to the pandemic. And it's a, it's like a Hallmark channel, literally Mm -hmm. like a, if a Hallmark movie had a baby with um, Gilmore Girls. That's where we are. <laughs> That's where you are. <laughs> so, what was your first company that you started? Well, it's a great question. <laughs> I, I hate telling this part of the story because <laughs> I spent so much of my life in sales and marketing. And, you know, I left my career in sales and marketing as, like really on top. I had done really, really well, well known in the industry I was in, which was the restoration industry, which Nobody knows what that is, but it's fine. <clears throat> and um, so when you start your first company and your background is sales and marketing, you typically just roll straight into something fancy like consulting, which means I know everything. And if I don't, I'll Google it and then sell you something mm-hmm. around that. So that's, that's really how I, I got my start. I started a consulting firm. I did a lot of business with people I had already done business with previously. Um and consulting kind of hot made its way into more like marketing, um, branding projects, storytelling, which is kind of narrative driven, narrative driven marketing was kind of where I landed. And I loved it. It was fun. I did that for about a year and a half before Good Grit was kind of placed in my heart. So in your heart, how did Good Grit start? What were you thinking at that time? Um, okay. So this is a, this is a, we're allowed to do this because this is Southern. So I can, I can just be real, right? That's all we've got, baby. Okay. So, um, you know, I moved to Birmingham and there, there's a couple different questions they ask you when you get to Alabama. All right. I'm from Savannah where like, it's like blue blood and we have wine crews and well, it's all driven by your last name and all those things. And when I got to Alabama, they asked a couple questions. There's like some rude questions that they ask you. Are you married? Mm-hmm. And the answer was no. Um, are you Alabama or Auburn? Mm-hmm. It's really important. You got to pick a side. Um, where do you go to church? And how many kids do you have? <laughs> or what do you do? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was pretty uncomfortable with like a couple of those questions because I wasn't really sure if I was for Alabama or Auburn, <laughs> although you have to pick, like it is not a choice. You must have a team. Um, I went to Florida state for a brief stint 
before I got pregnant, which was obviously a huge part of my plan. Um, as a junior in college, every girl is dreaming about getting accidentally pregnant. <laughs> That's what <laughs> happened to me. And as a girl from Savannah, that was, as you can imagine, not the way my parents saw everything going down. And so fast forward, I've had this really successful career, which I feel like I kind of faked my way into every step of the way. And then I get to this place where I'm really tired of traveling. I have, I'm looking at my eight-year-old son at the time thinking like, I'm, I've missed a really significant, or I think he was nine. I've missed this a lot of his life by working super hard. What am I working for? Is there a better way to do this? And so I reevaluated and said, I'm going to start a company. I don't even know what that means, but I, I think I can do it. And I did it. And I decided on Birmingham because I had a bleeding client in Birmingham that I was traveling to when I was still an international sales and marketing director of a company based out of St. Louis. And I just liked it. It kind of had a great vibe. It was bigger than Savannah. So Savannah only had about 300,000 people at the time. Felt like I was kind of like spoiled with opportunities. I'm a very hard worker. I love people. I'm obsessed with people. I love hearing their story and where they come from and why they've made the choices they've made. Um, And so when I got to Alabama and I'm starting this company and these people start asking me these questions, I felt uncomfortable because I didn't want to say, I'm not really sure where I am with God because that just is not an actual thing you're allowed to say in Alabama. You need to just say where you go to church. Okay. <laughs> like, are you at church of the Highlands or not? Like, that's really what we're church asking. The Highlands. <laughs> and so, um, I didn't have a good answer for that. And I felt really uncomfortable even saying what I believed at the time, which was just kind of like, man, I got a lot of questions. I've had kind of a really weird journey and I'm just not really where I, I'm not even sure I can believe in God. And that's really, really where I was, but I didn't say that out loud. So instead I said church of the Highlands and started going, mm-hmm. not joking. Yeah. So that was one question. The other question is, are you married? I wasn't. So that was awkward. Like, okay, she's got this nine-year-old, almost 10-year-old, and she's not married. What's she doing with her life? Um, and then Alabama and Auburn, I actually put up, I had hosted some clients at an Alabama-Auburn game um, on the quad had two tents. One was Alabama, one was Auburn. And the next morning when we came to start tailgating, the Auburn tent had been destroyed. So I decided I would be an Alabama fan. Yeah. Which is safer. Yeah. Like, and now I'm married to a guy who loves Alabama. So roll tide. Um, but anyways, so I had a kind of an unsettled spirit and I had a lot of questions and I, I was a really, truthfully, I've been highly successful in my career. I was really lost personally, just very, very lost. Um, and so I started taking clay to church of the Highlands. Right. And, and I knew that church was really impactful for me as I had a lot of my mom left when I was only 18 months old and she was a drug addict. My dad worked a ton. My stepmom was a little scary. Um, and then I met my husband on the interstate. All these things all do go back together. I promise. I met my husband on the interstate, which is a very strange story. He was driving and we were late for a hike in Atlanta with some friends and I got behind him and he was hauling ass. And so I was like, yes, finally, I'm going to make it. It's going to be fine. Clay was late. The only reason we got on the interstate late, he pulled off on an exit to get gas. I pulled off as well. He said, hello, gave me the shittiest business card of all time. Um, (laughs) And told me he was in marketing, which clearly I was like, "Mm, you're hilarious. No, you're not. Um, but I reached back out to him and we started having a conversation and I'll never forget. He was like, well, you know, where do you, where do you go to church? Cause that's one of the questions they ask you in Alabama, by the way. Um, and at this time I was like, I, I don't, and I just not even sure I believe in God. And he was like, okay, all right. And he, and I said, what about you? And he was like, well, I kind of do church for a living. And I was like, uh. cool. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, good. Well, all right, bye. Nice knowing you. Never talk to you again. I'm sure I'll be hearing from you all the time. Um, so I'm taking my kid to church, started this little company, have clients all over the country still because it was just kind of what it was. Um, met this guy on the interstate who is like telling me he does marketing, but also is like loves Jesus and ends up being the largest Christian music promoter in the world. Like that's literally his job. Mm. <laughs> it's fine. 
Um, and one day we're at Church of the Highlands and I watched my son get saved. And I was like, what's happening? Like, what does that even mean? Um, and then heard this music in the background one day when I was going to my office while I was on the phone with Shane, who's now my husband. And I said, what is that? And he's like, oh, I can't tell you. It'll change your life. And I was like, just tell me. I can't even deal with you. And he told me, and it was a band called House Fires, and they wrote the song Good, Good Father. And on that same album, there was a song called This Love. And I just kind of started listening to that on repeat. And one day, I was reading an article in the New York Times in my office, which was stolen from the previous tenant. And I was in this, like, little 250-square-foot office. It's just me, white rug, fancy chandelier, reading this New York Times article about Southern culture, specifically the food movement, specifically about Birmingham. And it pissed me off. And I don't know why it pissed me off, but it did. And it pissed me off because I thought, why is New York doing a better job telling the story than we are? Yep. Where are we as Southerners? Why are we not owning our story and owning what it looks like to move forward, owning what it means to inspire people with our stories of trial and triumph? And Y'all simultaneously, like literally read it and said, I just felt it. I was like, I'm supposed to start a magazine. Now, clearly you, you need to be a couple different things to start a magazine. One, certifiably insane. <laughs> you have to be crazy, like an actual crazy person. And the second thing you have to be is, um, you just have to be a doer. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the third thing you have to be is ready to like, have your ass handed to you because <laughs> you will, um, and, and willing to learn. And so I just think God was chasing me down. And I think you only know that in retrospect, you only know that looking back at something, right. You don't really understand. So people ask me my salvation journey. I'm always like, girl, I'm in it. I'm still living it. I still cuss. I love Jesus. I like wine. I'm about being real and honest and authentic. And, um, I remember like when my husband and I actually got to a place where we were dating, he's like, I'm not sure how I feel about you drinking alcohol. Cause you know, like what will people think? And I was like, well, I don't know if we're going to make it then. <laughs> I'm going to have a glass of wine. Okay. I'm about Jesus now. I love the church, but also I'm going to need to have a glass of wine. Uh-huh. Um, and so that, that day when I read that article, I called a friend of mine in Savannah who had a magazine and I said to him, Hey, I think I'm supposed to start a magazine in Birmingham, you know? And he said, Oh, that's amazing. I just consulted for somebody there. They need help, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yeah, but I'm not going to be a Birmingham magazine. I'm going to be a regional magazine. And he was like, he laughed audibly, which has happened to me a lot, by the way. Um, and he said, Laura, that's just not that's not really a thing. And I said, look, how about this? What if I come and intern you intern with you for free and I'll help you with your sales team. If you'll just let me learn everything I can from you. And he was like, cool. So I would run my company on Mondays and on Monday nights, I would leave my child with someone and I would drive all the way to Savannah five and a half hours, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I would work for this guy for free. Um, train salespeople, incorporate that I would look at his P&L, trying to understand distribution, circulation, how he's making money, what he's selling, what he should be selling, what I would sell, wouldn't sell. And I built a business plan during those couple of months. This was June, no, September of 2014. And by December, no, by October of 17, 2014, I pitched my first investor with a business plan. And we met if you know anything about Birmingham, there's a little place called the Garage Cafe. And the Garage Cafe is like amazing. It has great drinks, good ambiance on the patio. And I had this girl that I had helped raise up as a salesperson for it. And she's like, I know a guy that's kind of in the magazine business. And I'm like, that's perfect. Let's meet him. She's like, perfect. I was like, how do you know him? And she's like, I used to bartend for him at his Christmas parties. And I was like, oh my God what's happening <laughs> so I show up I walk in the back porch and there's a 70 year old man who literally I'm not joking chain smoking cigarettes and drinking a martini and I was like hey I'm Laura I'm the one that keeps sending you these business plans because he'd asked for like three of them they're so expensive to print like it's like <laughs> this thing you know I'm like geez bro we're not making any money like let's get this thing together and he said 
Laura, I'd like, <laughs> he said, I'd like to start by telling you I do not invest in anything but myself. <laughs> but I especially do not invest in magazines or restaurants. <laughs> and I was like, why did you take this meeting? <laughs> but I sat down and I went to work and I sold it. And um, he said no, but he wrote me a check a month and a half later. My seed money, my angel round investment, and his name was Elton B. Stevens Jr. The one of the $4 billion family in Birmingham, Alabama. Oh so, my gosh, Laura. I don't Google people. So I did not know that. I didn't know who he was. I didn't know his background. And I, I just, and so when I tell you God had his hand on this thing, like there is no reason, there is no rhyme. I mean, there's a million little tiny stories like that that have happened along our journey that would just blow your face off because this is not a business you get in and thrive. You just don't, but we just have, Mm. and it's awesome. What do you think has made your business stand out and thrive? um, Well, I'll tell you, the hole that I saw in the market wasn't that there weren't Southern magazines doing a good job because I don't want to come off that way. I think that being from Savannah, I was really familiar with Garden and Gun, and I love Garden and Gun. I'm obsessed with them, actually. I think what they do is incredible and impeccable. It's beautiful. But it was kind of ethereal. Like, even if you're successful, not very many people own $40,000 shotguns that I know. Right. Or, you know, like, are flying privately to an island to get their nails done on a Tuesday. Or, I'm not sure. So it felt a little bit like, okay, it's amazing, but it's, like, aspirational, right? And then there was Southern Living, which I've known my whole life, grew up with my grandmother. Like, it's always somewhere in our house. Love it. Amazing magazine. But a little bit more, like, on the down-to-earth, what type of flower am I buying? What kind of cool dessert could I put together for the holidays? You know, what's a really great wreath I could do? Like, things like that, right? And so for me, when I looked at that, I was like, okay, we've got way up here, and we've got... And we've got this like historical figure in the marketplace, but where is the inspiration? Where, where are the people who are telling maybe hard stories, Mm -hmm. maybe, but, but really authentic. How could we show up and be raw and real and inspire people to keep going, which is obviously why we're called good grit. Like there is a such thing as bad grit. You know, bad grit, you know her. You know the girl who's like walking around with her story on her sleeve, like, well, the reason I'm this way is because, you know, my husband cheated on me and that's where I am with life and I'm going to hate everybody because of it. Or, you know, the girl who got cheated on and was like, I'm going to use this for fuel and I'm going to break this cycle off my family and I'm going to inspire my children by showing up for them and I'm going to be a good friend to people whose marriage is in trouble. And I'm going to help them along maybe the way I wish somebody would help me along. Mm-hmm. That's good grit. So um, that's what makes us stand out. I think our willingness to be bold and audacious and tell real, meaningful, impactful stories that sometimes aren't the easiest to read but might change somebody's life. But that's the South, you know. I mean, the, and we say it all the time in this podcast is it's the grit of a woman and it's the grit of a Southern woman and Southern business owners, because it ain't easy, you know, to grow up in this culture and have a come up and really do, you know, a good business plan and execute something well. But there's so much that we have to offer, you know, and our stories at our podcast are are based a lot on, I'm sure, the same type of stories that you're telling. And I love that you called yourself a Southern culture magazine, because that's really what it's about the people. Well, you know, we even, there's one more word in there, the progressive Southern culture magazine. Like, Love that. that we, even better. We believe, well, we believe it's our job to move people forward, right? That does not, that we throw away traditions that are meaningful and impactful and, and help us raise better children who are well-mannered. But it does mean that, I mean, look at the culture we're living in right now. There's some things like every white person everywhere has had to look themselves in the mirror in the last, you know, six months to a year, hopefully before that. But let's just say right now, because of where we are and go, what's in me that didn't come from me, that maybe is a big fat lie I've been believing that's made me show up and not 
not love people, everybody the same? And how do I rid that of myself? You know, how do I make sure that I'm not passing that torch to my children unknowingly? Mm -hmm. So I think that that is what makes us unique is that we want to be a progressive voice for the South. And that was another thing that I realized is like, man, for so long, when I sat in that office with that little white rug and that chandelier over me and read that New York Times, I thought, you know, I spent most of my life looking to LA and New York saying, what are we supposed to be doing? How should my hair look? What am I supposed to be wearing? You know, what colors are in? But I was in the middle of understanding that New York and LA were looking at us mm-hmm. now more than ever. My God, there's a mass exodus coming to the South. People are intrigued with Southerners now more than ever. And I think that, you know, before that it was like, oh, that's cute. Like I've worked in St. Louis. That's where my corporate office was. And they were like, do people, does like, does everybody have tea or like, does everyone live in trailers? I was like, what are you talking about? Get killed. Or, or the opposite of that is like, does everyone live in a plantation? (laughs) No, (laughs) It's like, wow, those are, those are the two visions. But there was a, there was a rebirth happening, a resurgent. These old things are being made new again by this millennial generation. People wanting something tactile. Record sales were at an all-time high. People were mass exodus, leaving these like white box apartments and going downtown to have shitty heating and air bills because they wanted to live in something with exposed brick as I'm sitting next to an exposed brick wall in the building that I'm in. Mm-hmm. But I saw that and I thought like, damn, I want to be a, I want to be on the right side of history. I want to make sure that we're on the right side of history. So that storytelling of just what you said about Southerners and that grit and how do we capture it and put it in a timeless place like Brent? Well, you're talking about being on the cusp of the South and, and growing and, and what you want to people to say about you and think of you. I'm curious, what do you, what would you call yourself? An entrepreneur, a female boss lady? Like, what do you want people in 10 years to look back and say about Good Grit and about Laura Quick? Um, I have mixed emotions about female boss, like boss girl. I just can't. I have a hard time with that. <laughs> but, uh, and for a lot of reasons, because I'm like, hey, guess what? You're allowed to show up and just be an entrepreneur. You're allowed to show up and be a boss you don't have to like, you know, I, I hate even, especially for the daughters, I feel like we're all, you know, we're raising our nieces. I, I don't have a daughter. I only have sons, but, um, I want people to say Laura quick was an incredible storyteller and good grit was a manifestation of great storytelling. And she found people that believed and saw the South the way she did. And she went hard after it and she supported them so that they could be great storytellers too. God, I love that so much. Mm-hmm. So how many team members do you have now working for you? Okay, so on our core team, we have, I think we have 10. Um, it's a really small, scrappy team, but this is what I love. So it's taken a while, but we're it's all girls on the magazine side. So it's female-owned and female-led. So I bought out Elton last year and onboarded my new business partner who is the editor-in-chief and her name is Shelly Brown and she is so much better at it than I am and incredible and impeccable she's just like she's a renaissance woman like I can't even tell you she's like she's just not bad at anything it's really annoying it's like okay Shelly we get it you can garden (laughs) (laughs) Shelly we get it you can decorate (laughs) like and she's a mom of Five. She's not just an editor. So Shelly's history with the magazine was she she guest edited, um, which was a thing that I did because imposter syndrome is a real thing. And I never felt qualified enough to call myself an editor. Mm-hmm. I always felt like, um, you know, like, well, who am I to say I'm an editor when there's people like Sid Evans in the world that it is a real editor who I've met with multiple times and called him in crisis mode and be like, <laughs> like you already know what you're supposed to do. Um, so I decided I would have guest editors and I would have someone who could come in and just be a great voice of the South and help curate content that was through their lens and really job home the story aspect. And, um, Shelly did that in 2000, July of 2017. And 
she killed it. I'm talking like full on killed it. And she has been, I mean, she's done everything from costume design for entire tours in the music industry to, um, she's, (laughs) she's handmade wedding dresses for people. She's had a jewelry line that was really successful. And so she's just perfect. And, um, she was married at the time to someone in the music industry. And, um, and we just had this great chemistry. I mean, literally I went to an editor's luncheon. That's how I met her. And she lived in this really small town in Georgia, like right outside Peachtree city. And when I pulled up, there were like cops everywhere. And I was like, Oh my God, she must be like a huge deal. This was a big deal. But as it turns out, they were filming the walking dead there because later I saw like dead people on horses and stuff. And it was real weird. Um, but I walked in and there were probably 30 people at this, like they had closed a restaurant. It was just editors, whatever. And she and I made eye contact and it was like, poor thing. Like she didn't circulate with anybody else. Me and her hung out all day mm-hmm. and asked her to guess at it. She did it. She killed it. And then she would, she was married. And so they were like, well, maybe we'll invest in the magazine. And I needed the investment. I mean, we were struggling and I just did not feel good in my spirit about it. Not because of her. I just didn't. And it was less than a year later that they got divorced. And, um, the moment her paperwork was signed, she invested in good grit, like full on, like she was like, the first thing I do is invest and I'm your partner. And, um, and she had already been contributing and writing even after that she had, she's the reason we have a wellness department in the magazine. I mean, she's, she, we both deeply believe in mental wellness and mental health and taking all of the the actions that you can to protect. We believe that a healed mother heals her children's children. Um, that's something we talk about often. Mm -hmm. And, um, so she is a single mom of five. She is, Mm -hmm. Are, she's doing development on her own. She's just flipped like four or five houses. She also edits the entire magazine. She runs her editorial team. She has four daughters and one son, and she does it at the most even temperature of any human I've ever seen. It's honestly, again, annoying. <laughs> it's like, okay, we understand. You're just, <laughs> but she's just got this piece on her that, is intoxicating and she's my best friend and she's, she's just a gift. She's just a gift to the world. Well, we got to interview Shelly now. Yeah, I know. <laughs> she's, you do, you do have to interview her. She's amazing. Where do you see Good Grit going with you and Shelly in 10 years from now? Do you think you'll kind of stay on the same path or? Um, no, I mean, I think, you know, <laughs> We're kind of in an interesting time, y'all. If if the last six, eight months of your life haven't made you go, wait, does everything we're doing make sense? Mm-hmm. Like, it, are we doing this the right way? Are we being a good steward with the influence we've been given? Um, and we've asked a lot of those questions through the pandemic, through, um, like I said, just with the race relations, the way they are in the country, um, and how do we show up in that? And... So in regards to, so I'll back up, I'll answer that in two parts. Um, When Shelly came on and took over as editor-in-chief, it kind of allowed me to be a CEO for the first time, which is my passion. My passion is company culture. My passion is mentorship. My passion is serving people well. Um, And to me, that's relationship management. So if we're going to bring somebody on as an advertiser, then we need to make sure we can really do something for them to create great value. Um, so running the sales team and running revenue for the company. And I had been talking about for all the time that Shelly had known me launching an in-house agency. And, um, what that meant to me is Forbes came out in 2019, Forbes released some data that suggested that story, not suggested, proved that storytelling marketing was 22 times more powerful than any other type of marketing. Um, and I thought, well, you know what, that is something that I know how to do. (laughs) I know how to craft a great story and, um, and we're really good at aesthetics. I mean, talk about making something beautiful. It's, it's normally the first comment someone makes about the magazine, the texture, the fact that it's so clean and beautiful. Um, 
And so I had been talking about it and dancing around it. And she just looked at me one day and she's like, Hey, I hired a creative director that we can't afford for your new agency. Good luck. And I was like, okay, all right, well, I guess we're doing this. And so she onboarded our creative agency, our creative director on the agency side in October. So it's been one year. The agency outgrew the magazine in revenue um, through the pandemic, actually. Wow. Um, and I just, I literally have a wait list of clients on the agency side. And I have, it's the most meaningful work I've ever done. Because I just feel, and I love the magazine, don't get me wrong. But y'all, people will be like, oh my God, Laura, the new issue of Good Grit is so good. I'm like, that's awesome. I haven't seen it. <laughs> because <laughs> I don't touch it. She does everything. And I feel, and I, it allows me to show up in this meaningful way in helping some of the clients that we serve on the advertising side of the magazine now have become agency clients. Um, but it, it's just so meaningful because everybody, every company has a great story. It's just really hard to articulate your why when it comes so easy to you. And so being able to deeply connect with people and ask them great questions and lead them to a place of like what makes sense for someone who's never heard of them before. So giving them that really easy one sentence, this is what I do. Um, and this is why I do it. This is my story. It's just like, I can't think, I can't believe I get to do it every day. It's, I, I literally am like, I can't believe this is my life that I get to do this. Um, and it, it just fits so beautifully with the magazine. It's, it's been powerful. So this is where I see myself in 10 years and where I see the brand. I see us less of a magazine and more of a brand, mm-hmm. um, which is definitely the shift that we've made. And that doesn't mean the magazine goes away. It just means it, it becomes like, it's just a part of the good grit lifestyle. And what does it mean to lead a good grit lifestyle? It means that you you believe what we believe. You believe in giving back. You believe in community. You believe in inspiring people. You believe in owning your story. So your story doesn't own you. Um, and so I see us, you know, literally today we're having a call about doing our first good grit home, um, and pulling in partners to flip a house with us. And, um, Shelly's leading that up cause she's a Renaissance woman. Mm-hmm. We have 30 clients on the agency side that we're serving on a monthly level on retainer. Um, and every single one of them started in the 90 day commitment to us where it's just like, Hey, if you're not happy in 90 days, you you can be out of here. And I haven't had one of them leave. Um, it's just been, it's crazy. So I just see us blown up and like being a lifestyle that invites people in. And I think we'll eventually have product lines um, that make sense, that create a lifestyle of connection. What does it mean to be connected to yourself, connected to your heart and connected to others? And how can we give you tools to do that? Well, I'm all in for that. I, know. <laughs> I was like, check, That's some good check, grit right check. there. <laughs> I love it. So proud for you, Laura. That's amazing. I mean, what an incredible journey and and where you're go- been and where you're going. I mean, that's the journey, you know? Gosh, it's just unbelievable. Before we let you go, we do a popcorn round yeah. at the end of our interviews okay. where we just random okay. questions and just kind of the first thing that comes to your mind. Got it. Okay. What is in your purse right now? You had to pull out two things. What are you going to share? I have, unfortunately, I have a mask with a mask <laughs> board. Um, and I also have a really incredible lipstick that I love. I just feel like, you know, I'm over the age of 35 and you need to have lipstick because your lips aren't pretty. Yes, we're saying We were just talking about this. Yes. Okay. So let me ask, what is your favorite lipstick color or lipstick? I'm in the search. I'm in the hunt. Buy this. Oh my God. I'm embarrassed to tell you what it's called. (laughs) What is it? Like sex on a beach or what? Oh, it's it's Charlotte Tilbury. Perfect. And it's called Bitch Perfect. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, Lifetime Movie contacts you, and they are like, we are want to do a story on you, Laura. And you get to pick who's going to play you. It's going to be in Coleman, Alabama. It's going to be in Coleman. Oh, my. Okay, but here's the thing. <laughs> you know when you go to the hairstylist, and they're like, who's your inspiration? Yeah. I only see Eva Mendez. Oh, my Eva gosh. Mendes. I was going to say it. 
I'm never going to wake up and be Eva Mendez. I just love her. I love how beautiful she is. And I know I'm never really going to have that complexion without fake tanner. But I would love Eva Mendez. I love her. Oh, yeah. You know, I just don't know that she's going to be the Southern. um... She's not. She's not. (laughs) No, I get it. But she would, you know, that's acting. She'd have that's to figure acting. it out. That's true. Okay. That's true. Okay. <laughs> She's a good actress. Okay. What's your favorite city to visit? Southern city to visit? Man, that is really hard. That's a difficult question. That is not a popcorn question. Mm-hmm. Um, because it really just depends. Are we, are we in the mountains? Are we on a beach? Are we in a small town? I will tell you, I think that um, if we're going to the beach... And I would say Grayton, not because I don't love all the others, but just because I can hide away and not be in the middle of all the traffic of Seaside and all the others, which I love, love, love South Lawton. Um, if I'm in the mountains, I would definitely say Highlands, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. It's unbelievable. We sponsor a really incredible wine festival there. Um, and if I'm talking small towns, I, at the, I could not name them all. I've had the honor of seeing small tiny cities bubble out and grow up. But I mean, I live in Coleman, Alabama and there's a reason for that. I could live anywhere. We could live anywhere. And we choose to be here because it's a great place to raise your kids. And it literally is like a Hallmark channel situation. So I think small towns are going to boom again. I think it's happening. Everybody's moving out of the cities and looking for that Southern charm, especially all those, Northerners coming down here. Well, everybody's wanting to revitalize, which I love. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're flipping and they're moving restaurants back in and bringing life back to downtown, and Mm -hmm. I am here for it. Yeah, I love that. Me too. Agreed. All right, your last meal. Where are you going to eat that? What are you going to have? I'm going to go to Del Posto's in New York City, and I'm not going to regret the amount of money that it cost because it's my last meal. There you go. That's right. I don't need money because yeah. I'm going to heaven. Bye. That's right. <laughs> all right. You appear to be very stylish. Um, so now that jean season's coming around, we're all searching for the perfect pair of jeans. Do you have a pair of jeans that you just love and would recommend? <clears throat> okay. Two. I got two brands that I'm, I'm about. Write so, this down too. Okay. So if you're investing and, and money isn't an issue... Then rag and bone, mm-hmm. it's going to be more of an investment, right? Um, or reformation, which is all American made out of California. Um, but if you're just talking everyday jeans where you can take in an old pair of jeans and trade them in and get $20 off, then I'm going made well all day long. Mm-hmm. Um, because they just really do a great job of making incredible, I mean, they really are made well. Um, and I think they kind of fit all different body types really well. And I just appreciate that. So that's, those would be my three choices. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that. Madewell, it's about Madewell. a $70, $80 price point. They're going to fit you good every time you wear them. Mm-hmm. They've got all They're the good, rises yeah, and all the styles. Yeah. All the colors. That's good. Yeah, that's a good definitely. pick. I'm there. I'm here for it. All right. If you're going to, this may be jeans for you, but let's say it's not jeans. What do you splurge on? Oh my gosh, food. Do you? I think I splurge on food more than anything. I, I will say I feel uh, I, I'm on the cusp of millennial, like I'm 37, right? So, but I think I've been heavily influenced by the experiential nature of millennials. And, and we all have been, right? They have, I think they've taught us how to uh, value experience over stuff. Um, and I mentioned earlier, I worked in restoration for many, many years, but I was when I was on the ground, when I first started in that industry, I was meeting people on the day that their house burned down. Mm. Um, and I think that that season of my life, those couple of years where I was actually in the field, meeting people when they're having the worst day of their life, they've lost a family member in a fire. They lost their wedding photos. They've lost everything. I will tell you that I think that I learned that stuff, I don't need to be attached to stuff. So I'm not, so I do splurge. I think I mostly splurge on experiences. I love doing outlandish things for people I love. So like, you know, I took my, my, we do something fun with our kids every year, but my son specifically is a wild adventurer. So like 
you know, I would take another school and like we jump off the side of the mountain and go paragliding or, you know, parasailing or not parasailing, that's a boat. We rented a plane and he got a couple flight lessons. Like I would rather do things like that specifically because I want my child to know there's lots of options, things he can do. Um, but I'm an experienced girl over stuff. So I splurge on experiences. I love that. Yep. I love it. All right. Last question real quick. So when you close a big deal or you, you've just got a big new investor, what do you get in your car and jam out to? What are you rocking down the interstate in? Oh my God, girl. I can't, I don't feel comfortable telling you. I know it's something bad. I can just feel it. <laughs> I can feel it. You know, it's like my ghetto side. It's mm-hmm. hardcore strong. Mm-hmm. I'm nervous to tell y'all that it's Little Wayne. I love yes. Little Wayne. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, I love it. <laughs> I love Little Wayne. Probably right above it. Little Wayne. Little Ryan, right above it. I love Mm -hmm. it. Well, Laura, thanks so much for coming on today. It was so fun chatting with you. Well, I have loved this. I'm so excited to see where you guys go. I'm going to be celebrating. Hopefully, I'm going to come to your event next year. You're going to be there. Yes. Epic. And we're going to be celebrating that you guys, not only did you do all the things you said you were going to do, you blew through those goals. And yeah, just a little. Love it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Bye, Bye, y'all. It's always fun when we talk to a woman who is living out her dream and her passion and working hard at it. Yeah, for sure. She's pretty modest, though, about what she's got going on. Yeah. I mean, I love the part where she talked about how she identified a hole in the market. You know, all successful business people, that's what it's like they can see into the future. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Or like they're really good at deciphering what is there and then what needs to be there. And when she talked, I mean, I totally was tracking with her when she was talking about garden and gun is super high end. And it is. Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. And Southern Living is kind of like, you know, my grandmother still reads it. And yeah. the audiences are so different. But that middle ground, um, that that's that was a really good place to plug that magazine. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when she talks about progressive Southern culture, I like that... Um, that we're identifying Southern culture as progressive, which is what I feel like we do on this podcast. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. But she seems like she also kind of knows how to do it, like surrounding herself by good people. Sure. Talking about Shelly Brown and just her whole team. Right. And she knows if she can't do something, she's going to find somebody who can and step back and let them, you know, do their thing. That's the mark of a good leader, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. everybody always says you're always as good as your team, you know? So you got to build that right team for things to really happen. We talk about grit a lot about women who have... And just the South is gritty in itself, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so the good grit and the bad grit. What did you think about that? I thought that was interesting because she's so right, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. But I think every Southern's got a little bit of good and a little bit of bad in them, too. Sure. That's what gives them that grit. Yeah. I also thought it was interesting, too, how she was talking about the small towns, about people moving here from bigger cities and and loving the small town culture. Because I do think that we are moving back, like I said in the podcast, like to the smaller towns. Well, even the bigger towns want to be smaller towns because they're breaking up into these pods where they're creating this main street living. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, even the most, the coolest townhouses are now, they have a town market. They have sidewalks. They yes. have green space. They mm-hmm. have a farmer's market that comes on Saturday. You know, so that communal feel, which is my favorite thing about the South, I mean, it's the community. Um, that's what people crave, you know. I think, and isolation only brought that out more during right. quarantine. Right, I agree. Mm-hmm. How we need our neighbors, we need our people, you know, build front porches instead of back porches so you can get to know each other. Mm-hmm. I love re- the revitalization, though. Yeah, I do, too. In the small towns. I do, you know, too. And maybe it started with Chip and Joanna. I don't know. Um, it didn't start there, obviously, but they were gasoline to the already mm-hmm. burning fire of people wanting to restore these towns. And I think the food in the South, the culture has changed there, too. Just having more chefs and more, like, the farm-to-table feel. Yeah. And just changing the whole cuisine. And, like, things aren't just fried anymore. You can go to a really nice dinner like you could... Like in Charleston, you can get that in Jackson now, you know? Yeah. Uh, It's just changing. It is changing. And I like the way that she said that we were looking at them for so long, but really they were looking here. Mm Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, nobody does it like we do. They really don't. (laughs) That's that grit, everybody. Why do you think that is? 
I don't know. I think there is something charming about the people of the South and living in the South. It's just, it's pretty. The women are pretty. They're <laughs> sweet as pie. They can cook a pie. When Jason was in med school in Kansas City, um, you know, all his friends were from the West. Like, he was like the lone soldier from the South that had gone to, you know, to Kansas City, Missouri to med school. And all these people were from Tulsa and um, St. Louis and Utah. And, you know, there wasn't a lot of Southerners. So when he told them that his girlfriend was flying up for the weekend, I mean, no joke. They expected, like, hoop skirts and... (laughs) I couldn't believe you had shoes on. <laughs> and, you know, I flew in from Nashville. I had my little short hair, my glasses, my, like, long, you know, wool coat. And they were like, oh, there's, like, a modern South, you know. It was yeah. like he he had to kind of. But I will say there was this girl in his med, med school class. And, I mean, I hate to say it, but she went to Ole Miss. And, but she took Southern to another level. So she did, like, wear, wear flower crowns. And she said all... All my friends are debutantes, uh-huh. and they all, you know. Jason was like, "No, that's not that's not everybody. That's not everybody." She had everything monogrammed. Yeah, just very monogrammed um, book covers. Very, yeah, very. But like <laughs> med school, it, it's, it wasn't even like modern day Ole Miss. It was like she talked about petticoats and oh, it, like very different mm-hmm. than what the South is. You know? Yeah, yeah. The modern no, South. The modern South. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I think they had this like preconceived notion then I was up there like come on guys what are we gonna do yeah. you know do you think people or he did he feel like people thought he was dumb compared to them um he said yeah I mean not dumb but um maybe slower, maybe less experienced just, uh-huh. hasn't seen enough of the world maybe yeah and you know just so foreign that he would go to Kansas City and that's why he did because mm-hmm. he wanted to see some experience something else yeah. you know he's always one to kind of go and did med school in Kansas City and then went to Dallas, you know, kind of moved all over. But he, you know, it's just funny, the preconceived notions. That's what I think he was so surprised by. It's like what people really thought. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Like today. Yeah. (laughs) Still. No, we wear shoes. Yeah. Yeah. We do get braces. Yeah. We do have teeth. Some Um, of us still have braces. (laughs) Yes, you still have braces. Yeah. But it is, it's interesting, all the Northerners moving in the South. I feel like we need to, like, write a book or something. Maybe they just need to listen to this podcast and we right. can be like, these are some things you need to know yeah. when you move here. Right. He did a lot of educating on, yeah. like, what we do and what we don't do. Right. You know, because yeah. there there is that weird, mythical, like, nobody knows what to do with us. But really, I mean, there are some, like, key things that you need to know, mm-hmm. like... Well, like also, I mean, people think they're moving to a farm. Like, oh, an acre lot? That's not really a farm. Yeah, I'll get some chickens and put them on an acre lot. <laughs> no, no, we'll have so much privacy, you know, yeah. be so far away from everybody. Right. No, your neighbor's going to be all up in that business. Right. Mm-hmm. And them bringing a casserole to you is not like, it is, oh, we're so glad in your neighborhood, but it's also like, while you have that door open for 30 seconds, um, I'm, I am sure looking in that house. I am nosing around, uh-huh. taking as much as I can uh-huh. about you and uh-huh. what you're wearing and your children and what you what your house looks like. Right. We probably need to explain what a casserole is, first of all. Well, I don't know if there's any Northerners that really listen to say it, but Southern <laughs> podcasts. <laughs> maybe we need to. But there should be, like, maybe a handbook. Yeah, I think there should definitely be a handbook. Yeah. A casserole is a meal. It, it's a complete If it has meal. a protein, it is a meal. Yeah. No protein, it is a side. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you don't like cream of chicken, cream of mushroom? Don't eat it. You probably shouldn't come. You probably, don't you move just here. don't even come. Don't move here. Yeah. And if you go to a potluck, that's all it is, is casserole. Casserole. So get ready for Bring that. Bring something in a heated dish. Something that needs to be wrapped up in the car <laughs> on the way there. I'm plugged in when you get there. Yeah, and throw a little flower on your face. Don't worry, there will be extension cords so that mm-hmm. you know our surge protectors. So you can. Did plug y'all in. have fellowship meals at church when you yes, were growing up? Yes, yes. God, I live for a fellowship meal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Loved a fellowship meal. Uh, just you know, everybody cooked that. There's seven different kinds of macaroni and cheese. Mm-hmm. Had that fried okra. Oh, so good. There's also always like different kinds of banana pudding too. Yes. Everybody made a banana pudding. Man, maybe after COVID, we should start doing. I mean, the church that I go to now is so big, you couldn't do anything like that. But I could do that in a neighborhood. Yeah. You know. Neighborhood potluck. Yes. Bring Wouldn't it that back. be delicious? <laughs> yes. Wouldn't that be delicious? Um, also, they need to know about our football season. Oh, yeah. Everything revolves around the SEC football schedule. Mm-hmm. You do not plan anything if there's a big game. Right. Including weddings. Inclu- especially weddings. Unless you have like a full setup, tailgate, 
opportunity mm-hmm. at the wedding. Yeah, and you with need the flat to, screen. You need to go ahead and get married before. You know, because if you are yeah. getting married in a church, they will have their phone. Everybody will be watching the game. Mm-hmm. No one's going to care about the IDs. Mm-hmm. It's true. <laughs> it is so true. It's true. And also, don't be talking about your Big Ten. Like, nobody down here cares about Michigan State, Michigan, Ohio State. Trust me, when I tell you the SEC, any SEC team is better than any Big Ten, ten team. And the way you said it was right, any Big Ten. Any Big Ten team. Any now. Big Ten team. Even if the stats say otherwise. is really true. Mm-hmm. Also, Coke is everything. Coke stands for lemonade. It stands for tea. It stands for Sprite. It's Coke. I don't know. Now, Sprite, I will say Sprite. But if I say I want a Coke, that means I want something fizzy that's dark. And that could be Dr. Pepper. Yeah. Diet Dr. Pepper. Mm-hmm. Diet Coke. Coke. But it doesn't mean Pepsi. Oh, my God. If you bring Pepsi out here, if you bring <laughs> Pepsi to the South, you might as well go on home, too. Yeah. yeah. Nobody's drinking Pepsi. Mm-mm. Also, I think they need to know that what Dolly Parton says, like, we live by it. She's like our president. She's the president of the South. The gospel. She, is, she brings she's right up below God. The gospel. <laughs> we worship God and Dolly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The gospel South. Is, I mean, my, my coffee mug even has a quote, like, pour yourself a cup of ambition, Dolly. Pour yourself a cup of ambition. Yeah. Yeah. Something you should you could teach them about, Courtney, is that it's normal for boys at the age of six to wear bubbles and knee socks. It's normal. No, that's a little stretch. Mm-hmm. Dean, mm-hmm. not at my house. Dean will wear them till around four. The do- the kids, I let my kids wear them till they couldn't tell me otherwise. <laughs> and now, yeah. But yes, I mean, knee socks are completely acceptable till five years old. Yeah. I think when you start pottying on your own, and yeah. it's time to quit snapping between the legs. Like if you, oh, for if sure. you've got to go potty, you need to be able to like pull well, your pants down. And also, I think the snapping. length of the legs looks some weird. When in, they get tall. And bubbles sometimes. And thin. Yeah. You know, all my girls had thin legs. Not me. Chunks. I can't believe it. Well, I mean, I think mine were a certain point. Mine were just... I mean, I guess looking back when they were babies, they were a little chunky. But when they started walking and they were just thin, they did not look cute in little Well, bubbles. they lose that little fat. Mm. I do love a bubble. Oh, I love a bubble. I would put Dean in a bubble right now. I know. you. Me. That's what I'm saying. You would put him in a bubble in knee socks. You know it. In a monogram. Love or a smock. <laughs> I do remember when he said one time... One of them said, maybe it was Graham. Mama, I'm tired of wearing all these fancy clothes. <laughs> and, and even now they will say, is it fancy or is it, you know, like they have they have degrees like church clothes is equals fancy clothes. Uh-huh. Casual, dressy t-shirts, they know that's like a southern tide or like a dressy t-shirt, a vineyard vines. Regular t-shirts means like spirit wear, something yeah. from school, and then like, um, workout clothes. Yeah. It's like a tight-fitting Under Armour. <laughs> That's the four degrees now that we deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yeah, they, they know how to dress. I mean, boys from a young age know how to dress. Mm-hmm. Same with girls. They know. Yeah. I think it's like a bow thing for girls. Oh, for sure. Bows, like, you know, people really do believe the bigger the bow, the better. You know, you've got to have a big bow. Mm-hmm. Even but my you said friends, your girls didn't wear bows, My girls did, did not like bows. They still won't wear bows. I mean... Stella won't wear anything, but we just... <laughs> Stella's an enigma. Yeah. But they, I could put ribbons in their hair. Like, I could tie a ribbon through their ponytail. Yeah, And they cute. would keep that in. And, they, you know, it looks like a mess, but they never wore bows. Not one of them. Now, Millie, I could get her to leave it in for a picture, but then it would come right out. Right. So when all y'all come, all y'all... All y'all. When all y'all come, we'll have a big potluck <laughs> with some Coke. We'll write down some words you need to know. We'll turn the game Dictionary. on. We'll turn the game on. And you better be dressed right. <laughs> Your kids need bows and knee socks. <laughs> Don't bring a chicken to a, to a neighborhood potluck. Don't bring Pepsi either. That's right. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Say It Southern today. See you next week. <laughs>